The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who has invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. This story is the third time in Luke that Jesus had accepted a dinner invitation from the Pharisees. So often when we hear a story mention the Pharisees, we are sort of immediately on alert for a problem. Upon quick glance at the Gospels, it's easy to assume that Jesus had some bad blood with them and that we should probably go ahead and judge and despise them. After all, he did accuse them of turning a blind eye to justice. He fought with them about how to live out God's commandments. They often seemed to be attempting to catch Jesus in some sort of trap, and he was often responding with some sort of harsh criticism. Though not all of the Pharisees argued with Jesus, not all of them feature in these stories, and more so, some of them actually warned him of Herod's plot to arrest him. So whatever we think of the Pharisees, before we get into the parables, it's worth noticing at, at, a, at a step back from the text what was happening. With all of this going on, Jesus still continued to accept dinner invitation from the Pharisees. Breaking bread together is a very intimate social choice in Jesus' day, and he continued to show up for these meals, to say yes. He continued to engage with them, which I think is a really important model for life in our divided world today. Instead of cutting them off, he continued to nurture deep relationships and healthy conversations with those he seemed to disagree with. Perhaps, in sharing gentle company regularly with the Pharisees, it ever reminded Jesus' followers that, that these Pharisees too were worthy of his redemption and love. And perhaps it was drawing close to Jesus that helped the Pharisees see things perhaps in a new way which was his particular goal at this meal. It seems he wanted to shift their focus. The text says that they were watching him very closely. They were wondering, what was he gonna say? How was he gonna act? Was he gonna buck against their understanding of God's law? 
Jesus sensed, as he often did, that he was being observed, and so he used a social construct that, would, that they could understand well, um, and using that, he invited them to focus their gaze somewhere else, not on him, but beyond their gathered community. Now, in Jesus' day, two norms existed that impacted these everyday life parables that we heard. And um, the first one is when there's a wedding banquet or another feast, there was usually a seating chart used, and it was organized by social status. So the higher up you were, the closer you were to the guest of honor or the host of the party or whoever was kind of the focus point. Second, these gatherings were an opportunity to elevate your social status. And so the norm for party planning was to invite those who were of enough means to return the favor and make you look good as well. So keeping these norms in mind, Jesus told two parables. In the first, he said, when you arrive at a banquet, even though you know about this seating chart and the assigned seating, you choose the lowest spot at the table. If you choose too high, you'll be embarrassed in front of everybody when they ask you to move down, but if you choose the lowest, oh, you'll restore your status as everybody watches you march on to glory. The host will invite you to the seat of honor. How lovely. I mean, it sounds nice on paper, but it kind of sounds to me like Jesus is inviting his listeners to play mind games with the party goers, yes? <laughs> to like practice this false humility to boost their status. It Sounds a little manipulative. And it still sounds inherently selfish because the goal for these people then is still to make themselves look good. And all of that goes very much against what I hear Jesus saying elsewhere about living out the kingdom of heaven. So I'm gonna remind us again that Jesus was playing to the social norms that his hearers could understand. You work within the framework that you have, right? And parables are never meant to be taken super literally. So for this first one, maybe if we take a step back, maybe there's a bigger idea at work here. If you arrive at a party, we can drop the desperate scramble to receive external validation of our worthiness, and we could simply celebrate that we're at the party in the first place and be present for it. Maybe that's the call here. You don't have to worry about the musical chairs of it all. When I hear this, I, I, I imagine like a corporate networking event or like a political campaign gala or a research fundraising dinner where the goal has to be in those events to shake the right hands and tell the right kinds of stories and present yourself as just like the right mix of, of modest but powerful and impress all the right wallets, I mean people. Um, <laughs> and if you don't do that, then your night is a total bust, right? That's hard work. And I don't know about you, but hard work are not usually words that I like to use to describe a party. And while that might be entertaining for some, that really might be someone's jam, it's likely not as much fun as a party thrown for the sheer joy of just being together. Hypothetically, off the top of my head, I'm imagining a, food, a party where you like eat good food and you listen to live music and you could play games or jump in a bounce house or have some 
I don't know, shaved ice, and you can throw a couple balls to dunk your pastors in a tank of water. Like, that sounds like a party where you don't have to work so hard. If anyone knows of anything like that going on around town, please let us know. I don't know about you, but for me, a party isn't really enjoyable unless I can just lay down all pretenses and just be me. I need a place where I can be myself. We do well to create a party, a world where where nobody has to hustle to earn their welcome or worry about their station when they arrive. We're all are equally seen and celebrated. As soon as we create a VIP section or set up some sort of hierarchy, we are no longer operating out of the kingdom of heaven. What if the point of this parable is that everyone at the party can relax and see themselves exactly as they are, beloved children of God? No need to earn that love. You've already arrived at it. Just be here. When we feel at home in our seat at the table, when we feel at home in our own skin, when we're confident of who and whose we are, when we can sink into the trust that God knows and cares for us deeply and believes that we are worthy to join the party, then then we can participate in a more grounded, less anxious way. And from that place of wholeness and freedom, then we can turn and we can see others around us, not as competition for status or pawns to help us feel better about ourselves, but as fellow beloved children of God, also worthy to be at the party. My husband Marcus started a practice at our house where our seats at the dinner table get switched up every couple of months. He's noticed that sometimes when a family has assigned seating and a guest comes, it can make them feel a little less than welcome if they're told that they're sitting in somebody else's seat. We don't know anything about this here with pews at church, right? That's like a totally different situation. So at our house, we probably messed that up pretty badly for you today, didn't we? having a combined service. I hope you all are getting a view from another pew today. But at our house, nobody has an assigned seat at the dinner table. We move around it constantly, making sure that we can find comfort and fellowship from every single vantage point so that it's less about laying claim to what's ours and more just about being at the table together, focusing on each other. And that brings us to the second parable. Now that we know we don't have to focus on where our seat at the table is or worry about securing it as if there's somehow some sort of shortage of seats at the table, our job is to make sure that everyone else knows that they have a seat there as well. Not an assigned one, just a seat. In the second parable, the table, the table isn't an image of God's love which can be bound to like an invitation-only event. The table is a life lived most fully in the kingdom of justice and life and hope. So Jesus invites us along with the Pharisees to shift our focus, to see what he sees, to see how he sees, to see who he sees. Jesus sees those on the margin 
That's where his gaze is focused. The oppressed, the forgotten, the invisible, the unspecial, the uninvited. Luke's entire gospel message focuses our attention on these populations. From the very beginning, Elizabeth and Mary sing God's praises when they are pregnant with John and Jesus, saying that God lifts up the lowly, exalts the poor, draws near to the least. The shepherds, the least in their society, are the first to hear the good news of Jesus' birth. The magi, foreigners, are among the earliest to praise Jesus and hail him as king. In Jesus' first sermon in the temple, he said he was anointed to bring good news to the poor, release the imprisoned, heal the blind, break the shackles of the oppressed. In the Beatitudes, Jesus specifically calls blessings upon the poor, the hungry, those who mourn. From day one, Jesus was the champion of the underdog and he asks us to be the same. So who around us hasn't been told yet that they belong at the party of justice and life and hope? Who around us is the least in our world today? Who around us has been hindered from receiving those gifts? Who around us has been explicitly told that they are not worthy recipients of a party invitation? Who is still crying out for a seat at the table? These are the ones who deserve our gaze, our care, our energy. Some of them may be in this very room. On some days, some of them might be you. Others are in your neighborhoods, your classes, the hallways, the lunch table at school. They're in your workplaces. Still more neighbors are further away, and yet each matters to God as much as the next. And these neighbors will never, ever, ever be able to pay us back or boost our social status, but the party will not be its best unless we are all there, celebrated together. We are called to use all that we have at our disposal to ensure everyone finds a seat. How do we do this? Well, in line with this, with this parable, Columbia Seminary professor Mitzi Smith suggests this. She says, wealth and position are a blessing when shared and used for the betterment of humanity. She says, we often confuse privileges with blessings. Many people are born in developed countries, are born into privilege relative to others born in developing regions ravaged by colonization and famine and war. When we name privilege, as God's blessing, then we tend to spiritualize God's blessing for the less privileged, the less fortunate. She says, for the privileged, we say it is material, but for the underprivileged, we say it's spiritual. She says, wealth, birthplace, race, class, gender, access, health, all of these can be mistaken for divine blessings when they are just the result of privilege. But God, calls us to turn our privilege into blessings. Did you catch that? The things that we have that are privileged can become blessings for other people. We are tasked to use every privilege we have to create a pathway of blessing so that everyone finds their way to the party. And each time 
another guest pulls up a seat at the table, whether we are excited they're there or totally surprised by their presence, we celebrate. We party hard together. And we give thanks that God, our generous and gracious host, calls each and every one of us beloved and wholly welcome. Thanks be to God.